thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations literary event calendar and the chills at will podcast news you will get a shout out on a future episode too with the vip patron tier which is ten dollars a month you'll get access to all episodes a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gone to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Cochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks. 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Tommy Dean, Elizabeth Williamson, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 153 of the Chosen Will podcast. Happy to be here with Louisette Resto. Awesome to have her. You know, I heard so much about her in recent years, had a chance to be on a, a Zoom uh, maybe a year and a half ago, but to be able to talk to her in person, even though it's across the screen, is, is thrilling. And a little bit about Louisette. She's a mother, a teacher, a poet, and a Wonder Woman fanatic. And she was born in Aguas Buenas, Puerto Rico, but proudly raised in the Bronx. She is a Canto Mundo and Macondo Fellow and a Pushcart Prize nominee. She is on the board of directors for Women Who Submit, a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles focused on women and non-binary writers. Some of her latest work can be found on Spillway, North American Review, and the latest anthology, Gathering. Her latest collection is called Living on Islands Not Found on Maps and is published by Flower Song Press. Her first two books of poetry, Unfinished Portrait and Ascension, have been published by Tia Chucha Press. Some of her latest work can be found in the anthology titled What Saves Us? Poems of Empathy and Outrage in the Age of Trump, edited by Martin Espada and on the University of Arizona's Poetry Center website. She lives in the San Gabriel Valley with her three children, aka her revolutionaries. How are you today? Good, good. I'm doing really well. Anything left out of the bio? Anything you want to change for the record? No, I think that's perfect. Let's, All right. Let's... Yeah, you said it all. <laughs> all right. Well, good friends of the podcast, the Flower Song. Talk to many people from Flower Song and Tia Chucha, mm-hmm. of course. So you're in great company and they're in great company. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to talk about uh, about growing up in the, well, I was going to say in the Bronx, but being born in Puerto Rico, living in the Bronx, 
language, languages, um, you know, what were you reading uh, as a kid? Um, just kind of like the language and literary life. Uh, well, I mean, I grew up, you know, living, I, I Puerto Rico, you know, I, I was born there and I lived there for the first like four years or four and a half years. So my memory is a little spotty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I have memories. Uh, and then I would visit, um, I visit Puerto Rico every summer with my grandmother. So I have these summer summer memories and we were there for like the whole summer for like mm -hmm. two months. And so definitely have a lot of fond memories there. And uh, we're really lucky because the house I grew up in is still there. My grandmother owns oh, wow. it and she hasn't sold it, uh, you know, even though uh, she lives in the Bronx for I don't know how many decades at this point. Mm. Uh, so it's still, you know, the family, technically, we still own this property um, and it's a little corner home in Aguas Buenas. Uh, and so I still have a lot of connections to the island because of that. Uh, I have extended family there, mm -hmm. uh, cousins, you know, three or four times removed. Mm -hmm. uh, across the street from our home is actually my mother, sorry, my grandmother's first cousin. Like we live across mm -hmm. the street from each other and they're still there. They mm -hmm. are still there. They haven't moved. So, and then my biological father lives in Puerto Rico too. He lives okay. in Aguas Buenas. So, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a deep connection still like mm. literally to the island and to my hometown. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's definitely there. So like when Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Fiona, uh, were hitting the island, I, um, definitely, uh, and even still, like I was thinking about it the other day, uh, just feel there was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of worry, uh, that, you know, whether or not people were safe and getting, water or they had electricity and you know trying to locate my father uh almost every day trying to make sure that he was good um and just checking up on him and and just you know to see if everything was okay but it you know it, so my connection to the island are still deep and profound and uh i'm really proud of that mm. and i um that's why it's like, yeah, I was born in Puerto Rico, but the bios, but you know, when I remember when I was creating the bio real quick, like I remember when I had to create this thing like years ago, mm -hmm. I was like, how do I honor both these places? Mm. Because I wasn't born in the Bronx. I was born in Puerto Rico, but like the Bronx definitively had or has had a, a uh, an effect and an influence in my life. Mm. So it's like, how do I honor both of these? So like to actually choose the right words. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. put in the bio a few years ago i i remember I, I, it took me a while to get to that point uh, that's why that part of my bio will never change yes um <laughs> <laughs> uh, because i really am proud to be raised um in the bronx and moving there in the early 80s which in hindsight i didn't realize what a crazy mm -hmm. time it was to be in the bronx in the sure, 80s sure. right yeah <laughs> um but i didn't realize that until um, I got much older and I could rewind my mind to be like, oh, mm -hmm. that's what that was. Hmm. Like, that's why my, that's why my grandmother was very much like, yeah, I remember picking up a, a needle from the floor that was on the, on the sidewalk, right? Like where, you know, where I grew up, you know, in the apartment mm -hmm. building. And I must have, I have a memory of like picking up a, a, a needle and she quickly like, you know, slapped it out of my hand. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now when I think about that memory, I was like, oh, mm. this is why. So, but yeah, growing up in the Bronx um, and being raised by, by, by her um, definitely influenced my, my, uh, 
my just I think my personality, uh, my perspective, and definitely my language, like you said, like talking about language, because I could speak Spanish, I can, I can speak English, but then there's, there's also that code switching that we do. Mm. And there's a certain terms that you're, they're very Bronx terms. Mm. And I feel like that's a third language by itself. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I love you were saying that your connections to Puerto Rico are, are deep and profound. I love how in Spanish, it's like the same word, right? For like deepness, like in the soil and like deep, like that was a deep thought, right? Would they mm -hmm. both be profundo, right? Profundo. Mm -hmm. Profundo, sí. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so how about like, you know, I mean, there's there's like New Yorican, even the term, right? So like you talk about like a third, like subculture or whatever the term would be, right? So what is it about being like Puerto Rican of Puerto Rican descent in New York that's like a separate, huh. you know, while taking um, from Puerto Rico and, and America, you know? I think growing up, uh, growing up in the States and then visiting the island every summer, uh, again, at the time as a child, I didn't have the language for this. And then when I got older in college and then started to read about the hyphenated like identities, right. And reading these, uh, scholarly essays about these experiences that I had, and then actually being able to put a name to them. Mm. Uh, but essentially, um, feeling not enough Puerto Rican when I would visit the island because I didn't have a strong command of the language uh, the way I did when I was growing up in the first four, four years. I spoke it very well, apparently, my grandmother would tell me. Hmm. But but then obviously being, uh, for having my whole education experience being in the States in an, in an English environment, uh, I lost some of that. Mm -hmm. Right. I lost some of those, you know, some of that ability to just turn on the Spanish just like that. And so I struggled with like certain words and certain conjugations. And and then, you know, going back and hearing from cousins and like, oh, you know, you're she's coming from the States. Like no longer was I mm -hmm. coming home. It was like, oh, that I lived in this other space. But then when I would be in, you know, when I would be in school, uh, it was very different. It was like, you felt like you were an other. So and now, like, again, like I said, at the time, I, again, I didn't know what it was I was feeling. I didn't have the language. I, didn't, I was immature enough. But as I, you know, as I got older, I realized like, no, this is, this is, the, this is, I, and, and then also talking to other people who can understand this feeling, right. Where you don't feel like you're enough mm. in either space. Right. Mm. Um, and 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 growing up in in New York, it's like, and you would find another Latino uh, or another Boricua. Is like, I always felt that there was like a Latino meter that we were using with each other, right? It's like, well, can you dance this? Yeah. You know, can you cook this, or do you eat this, and uh, do you know the language? And it was like this meter that we were, this metric system we were using with each mm. other, like how Boricua we were. And you just felt like you never measured. There was always something you were missing or you were lacking in. Hmm. And then you would go to the island and it was like the same thing. Okay, yeah. So so uh, the identity, um, you know, that there was definitely that push and pull. And and but as I got older, I was I, I, I came to terms with like, I am enough. Like I am Boricua. I, just because I haven't lived on the island in, you know, 40 years does not make me 
less Boricua or proud than someone who like who has lived there. Our experiences are different for sure. And respect to the people who, you know, my relatives who live there because their realities are very different than my own. But the pride I have is, and the way I identify uh, is definitively very cemented at this point in time. So I am Boricua. I am Puerto Rican. That's my first my first thing in my bio, it's like, this is how I identify yeah, yeah. because I'm extremely proud of, of my Island and the roots that I have there, but also the roots that I have in New York. Like I said, mm-hmm. I was, I feel like my identity now as an adult was, def- was defined by these two spaces and I couldn't be, and those spaces taught me very different things. And um, I can't, I, again, I'm, I just couldn't be more grateful yeah. For, those, for the for, for for both of them. Yeah. What what were you reading as a kid? <laughs> as a kid, really? Okay, so as a kid, I was that reading. That long ago? Come on. No, it wasn't that long ago. But yeah. as a, I'm laughing because I read a lot. Like I uh, I read a lot. I read a lot. I'm laughing because I was uh, and I still am. But like where do you begin, right? Right. I mean, I'm an only child, and so as an only child, again, I didn't have siblings to play with, and. Uh, I grew up in this, I grew up in an apartment, you know, with adults and so who are, who are working all the time. So, mm. uh, it, you know, um, not having, not having children to be around, right. On a regular basis, on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, and then having to find my own level of entertainment was through books. Mm. So uh, I read so much. I read every encyclopedia, encyclopedia Brown book. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved Encyclopedia Brown. Yes. Uh, I read uh, every Babysitters Club book, every Heck Judy yeah. Judy Bloom. Oh yeah. Uh, you know all those Ramona, Ramona Quimby yeah. books. Uh, the um, uh, also I was a, I was a huge fan of Archie comics. Mm-hmm. So every time I would go to the supermarket, I had to get the latest Archie comics. What, what, what's the New York reputation? What, what's Riverdale? Is it like a suburban? Like, is that kind of where you go and you get a family and get maybe get money? I don't know. <laughs> so the Riverdale is like, you know, in the Bronx, but okay. it's like, but everybody, you know, I always, I always crack up when people claim the Bronx, but they live in Riverdale. I was uh, like, no, okay. Riverdale is, we just. I don't know. It's actually in the Bronx. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was like a Yonkers or like Westchester County or one of those. No, it's in the Bronx. But, you know, for people who live in Riverdale want to claim I'm from the Bronx. I'm like, no, you don't. You're living in Riverdale. Say you live in Riverdale. Let's just own that because that is his own (laughs) own thing. But yeah, I was a huge uh, Archie comic book fan. Every derivative of it, like the Mm. Archie books, the Betty and Veronica ones. Like, I was all about it. So I read a lot. Oh, and Sweet Valley High, every single. Of Of course. Every Sweet Valley High book that came out, and they had the whole series, and Christopher Pike and mm. uh, R.L. Stein books. Like, I mean, I just this is this is what I read as a kid. Yeah. As you got older, as you got into high school and college, like, um, were you did you did you feel like you were lacking in seeing like Puerto Rican Latina representation that wasn't something that that hit you, or or maybe you maybe you were um, exposed to to a lot of those writers growing up? Um, I wasn't actually, I, I admit I was not. And in high school, uh, again, just rolling back, rewinding my mind, mm. um, I wasn't taught any any writers of color at all in, in high school. It like was not all. hard, like... no, none, none. Uh, I was taught by, I, I went to a Catholic school 
And so the nuns chose the curriculum. And so I, I just remember reading a lot of classic piece of literature. Um, and then I think it was uh, my senior year, I took like a college prep course and Mrs. Quigley, who eventually left and became like Dr. Quigley somewhere else. She was uh, Lori Quigley. I'll never forget her. She was the one that pushed the envelope because right. she wasn't a nun. And we were in this college level course. And she was the one that introduced me to Margaret Atwood. Mm. And she introduced me to Dorothy Parker, okay. which became my favorite poet. Right. And so there were certain things. And I remember reading also um, Catcher in the Rye. Mm. Um, so senior year, Mrs. Quigley started to jostle things, right? Like I started to feel things and see things in, in books that I had never seen before, but I still hadn't seen anybody of color. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I didn't think anything of it because I was, you know, I couldn't feel a sense of loss because it was never given to me. Right. And then when I went to college, um, I, I really started to find, I think Cornell definitely was a place where I felt I really found my consciousness mm. and, I started to take courses with Elena Viramontes. What? Um, That's right. Cornell. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was my advisor. Lucky you. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Lucky me for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was very blessed to. I try have... to read the moths every year or two. You know. So good. Yeah. Uh, Elena is a sweetheart too, and she she was a champion. She is a champion of students. And so she, if you, if you were, if you were, uh, if you wanted to do an independent study and you wanted to create your own course and she was your advisor, she'd be like, let's do it. Mm. Like, let's, you create the course, you pick yeah. the books and I'll walk you through, through this. You, we'll meet once a month and talk about it. Mm. And then, you know, you justify it by writing a paper at the end and then, you know, okay. and then you get your A or something. <laughs> but given a lot of C minuses and B minuses. For her, it was like she really wanted to encourage that genuine curiosity and that learning process. Yeah. And she was never going to hamper that. Right. And so she created courses for us when she saw enough interest by these Latinx students who were like cool. hungry to learn more about their cultures. Mm -hmm. And she would, you know, really just spearhead. I was like, all right, let's create a class. Let's do it. Absolutely. And, and so I was very, very, very fortunate to work with her many times. And, and again, for her to be my advisor for, for mm -hmm. three years there. And, and it was through her courses that I, I, I was uh, introduced to Puerto Rican writers. And I remember reading Judith Ortiz Kofer. I remember reading Martin Espada and, and, and specifically with Martin, I think I remember reading uh, one of his collections and seeing uh, Puerto Rican terms in a poem mm. and just being shook. Like I genuinely was like, mm. I want more of this. I didn't realize that I was missing that. Mm. And it was just that, that completely just woke something else up. And I was like, okay, I need to read all the things. Wow. And I realized like, Oh, you know, I, I was, I've been deficient. Mm. And so, uh, and Judith Ortiz Kofer's Latin Deli uh, also became one of my absolute go-tos mm. as an undergrad. And as, and even to this day, like to this day, I will still revisit Latin Deli because Latin Deli is, if you've never read it, it's, it's a, it's a combination of uh, personal essays and poetry. 
Okay. And and Judith Ortiz Kofer grew up in in Jersey, mm. and then Bo was from Puerto Rico, so she went back and forth too. And so reading her work specifically, I got to see my life played out so so well. Um, so between her and Martin, introduced by Elena, mm. uh, that's kind of set me on my path. What what are what are a couple uh, Puerto Rican terms that were that like you're like what? Yeah, so it was like you know maybe silly stuff, right? But like I saw the word um, coqui in a poem, right? And coqui is a tree frog that lives in Puerto Rico, okay, and can really only uh, live in Puerto Rico, and oh. it's because of the, just the, the weather and the conditions. Eh. Um, and I think the only other place that I know that it can survive is Hawaii, eh. but again. It's because of the that, yeah. that the conditions and the weather. Yeah, but it's but the coqui specifically has is still it's to this. Yeah, yeah. You go to Puerto Rico, you'll see like every every souvenir shop will have a coqui. Like right, the coquis oh, everywhere. Wait, take me a minute. They're tree frogs, so they're up. They're up there. In the, oh shoot! Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and then at night, you hear them croaking, um, and their and their croaking noise sounds like coqui, and that's whoa. why we call them. That's why we call them coquis. Uh, ¿Cómo se dice onomatopoeia en español? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so, yeah. so yeah, like I That's seeing cool. even that in a poem or seeing, mm. you know, um, the word pasteles, right? And to see. Pasteles uh, no, son, no son cakes, right? No, that's no, it's yeah. not. Uh, pasteles for us is actually something you would see around this time of the year in, uh, you know, the holidays. And mm. it's basically uh, our version of tamales. Ah, okay. because you wrap it in a banana leaf mm. and and you boil it and and similar to the, to, to the process of tamales is it takes like a whole day to make it okay, and very labor intensive yeah. right and there's everybody's got a job and oh, right you know it's like a little like assembly line and huh. and there's with a the, masa olive right we put you know what it depends my mom yeah. puts olives in hers and you know but some people don't like olives so like if yeah. you didn't like it they'll keep it out you know and it's not a must it, you get a little bit of that, you know, personal touch, but oh. you know, to see pasteles, to see arroz con gandules, to mm. see, uh, you know, um, coco frío, and you know, uh, o coquito, or in a poem, it was, um, it was again, it was, it was, it was powerful. It mm. was, uh, it made a definitive impact on me. Yeah. Well, for good things about Martina Spada, definitely from other guests. Um, love to hear about Elena. Um, we did, I, I was like fanboying. We did the, um, the voice of the California, the first one, and it was, it was online and I'm the type, like, I'm just going to reach out on email and the worst mm -hmm. people can say is no. Right. 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 And she said, yes. And so you, when you talk about being down to earth before the, we started recording, it was like, I had, <laughs> I had some random thing that day where like, there, I saw like flames coming out of my refrigerator and like, it just happened. So we were, you know, I was talking with her. We were just talking about that. Like, and you know, I'm like, what am I doing right now? I'm talking with Lena Maria Villamontes about, you know, flames coming from my refrigerator and she had, you know, some nice advice and whatever, you know, so. I, I was at that. I actually watched that one. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a Californian through and through. I know she's been back east for a while, but mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. from LA, so. But her whole family's out here, I think. Like yeah, a good, okay. She's, uh, she was born in East, she was born and raised in East LA mm -hmm. and 
she writes about that a lot. And uh, to my understanding, you know, uh, I would say the majority of her family still is out here. It was an honor to talk to her. Well, so uh, so you, know, you talk about the, the, those formative experiences, those transformational experiences in college. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like what what did you do with that? Or as far as like, I mean, were you were you writing at that time? Were you um, had you already kind of gotten the bug? Was there was there like a eureka moment where, you know, Elena or somebody else was like, man, I like your work. I love your work. And you're kind of like, you know. I can do this. Uh, yeah, I think or it, moments. Yeah. Moment. It was definitely Elena. Elena definitely played a huge role. Hey. Uh, she definitely did. Like I said, uh, I am. You know, I took my first creative writing class uh, as a sophomore, my okay. sophomore year, first semester sophomore year, and I took it. And I'm, I'm going to be transparent. I took it because everybody said it was an easy A. <laughs> and in when you're in college, easy A's. Oh yeah. Come by. So I said, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. And. Um, I took this creative writing course with a graduate student, an MFA graduate student. And, uh, you know, it's 50% fiction, 50% poetry, because they try to give you a little bit of everything. Hmm. And, you know, I got an A. Um, I, and nice. I remember, I remember like meeting with her at the end of the term with my portfolio. And, and I said, I remember having this conversation with her and I can't remember her name, but she was very sweet. And I said, listen, I said, I really enjoy this class. Um, the next level has to be a 200 level course because this is 101. So, but when we, when you go to 200, you have to choose for either a whole semester mm. of fiction or a whole semester of poetry. In your professional opinion, which one do you think I should go to? And she said, I think you should go to poetry. Mm. And so I said, sure. Okay, I'll do it. And then I take a 200 level course of, of poetry and really enjoyed that and um and then after that there was nothing higher okay and at that point i had started taking all these courses with elena and i i remember i think i must have made a comment to elena in one of our meetings and she said let me see what i can do and i lo and behold she created a 300 level creative writing course Whoa! and essentially it was for anyone who was writing fiction or poetry. It was kind of like a free for all. Yeah. She wanted to create space for students who wanted to keep this going, mm. but couldn't because three, there was no 300 level course at the time. And so she created this course and I got to bring my poems. Other people got to bring their short stories. Mm. Other people got to bring their essays. And it was just, and Elena was just our guide. Wow. And, and that was my junior year and it was pretty powerful. Again, it was, it was, she made a huge impact on us. And one of the students in that class ended up, uh, his name was A and A ended up going to Ann Arbor, Michigan for his, for, for their MFA. And uh, they had a short story collection called Sightseeing that was uh, mentioned in Poets and Writers. And so like they continued and now they're a teacher too. They're teaching somewhere. uh, I forget where, but but it's kind of cool. Like we all started in this class together and some of us ended up going to these other heights, which is pretty cool. So that family tree, huh? Yeah. So Elena really, like I said, she watered that seed Mm. and, and really gave me that push to, to really think about, Hey, what about going to an MFA school? And, and and really working on this as a craft mm. and and again and then just reading all these poets and and you know latinx poets and um and black poets i was just like okay 
Hmm. I think I want to do this instead of going to law school. Yeah. <laughs> as as we got into more as we get into more current times and in those times, I mean, who were some of those writers that continued to that you continued to explore and discover who, you know, who give who inspire you and influence you? Um, Again, so many, I'm sure. Well, I think my go-to's, uh, I still go to Martin. I yeah. still go to Martin's work. I'm I'm really lucky to have um, I think all of his poem, all of his collections on my shelf. Give it give us one. If we if we had if you know Oh well if his you had to make book, a choice. His latest book, Floaters, right now, that won the National Book Award. It it, it really is Floaters. His Floaters okay. just, just came out. It came out two years ago. Like a fine wine, huh? He's getting better with it. I age. mean, oh my God. I mean, killer. Like, you know, sometimes okay. you wonder like you know, when is someone going to like just peak? And he has not, I think, I don't think he's peaked yet. I think Damn. floaters is just, I remember reading it because he sent me a copy of it and I got it on my birthday. And I remember I was like, Oh, this is so perfect. I got it yeah. on my birthday. And I remember just sitting on the, you know, on the couch and just reading it nonstop. And then I remember messaging um, his wife and said, Oh my God, this is, this is it. Like, this mm. is the best, this is the best one. And she said, she agreed. She's like, yeah, I told him the same thing too. <laughs> this is his finest work. And then like a year, or a few or 10 months later, he wins yeah. the national award. Right. Oh man. Uh, but I think that one for sure is beautiful. And, and it is, I think definitely his best work. Uh, mm. But I, I go to his work in, in general, like I'll revisit a lot. I'll just yeah. pick whatever I want from the shelf and re reread his work for uh, the inspiration of, of language choice um and because he's so precise mm. he's so precise mm. and his endings it, you know are perfect <laughs> and and so i'm like okay when i'm struggling with the poem or just struggling to get started i'll reread his work i'll reread um pedro pietri's work okay uh, i have um I have a, a a first edition of puerto rican obituary that was published in 1975 mm. And I have that one on my shelf and I'll sit there and read that one, that whole collection. Uh, so there's certain people that definitively will get things going and mm -hmm. I can say, okay, now I'm ready to, yeah. to do my own thing again. Uh, but those are definitely some of my, my heroes. Nice. Is um, talking about Martin's endings. Are they the type that like resonate that leave you like, you know, thinking about the image? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, like, you know, you read a poem and then you get to the ending and you're just like floored or like mm. you feel like you've been, you know, punched in the gut in the best way. Right, 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 right. right. That's how I feel about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and that's hard. I really feel endings can be really tough. So, yes. So uh, for someone to do it, in my opinion, so well, mm. um, I, I that's uh, that's important to me. We talk about precision um, there. You it was a, an interview back in 2008 um, with Cindy Rodriguez. And you said, quote, I enjoy the challenge of finding the right set of words to express a series of thoughts, emotions or observations in a compacted space. For me, poetry can be the most beautiful way to express some of the most painful yet truthful side to life. Deep words, huh? <laughs> I, I said that. Huh? You're, you're like, I said that. Um, <laughs> I wonder if, like, I mean, you know, we're going to talk mainly about the, the most recent collection, but you've, you've written so much and, and had so many accolades. Like, uh, I just wondered what, like how you're a poet on a daily basis. 
Uh, or a weekly basis, or that's a good question. Or a bi-monthly basis. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I it's it's a, a I don't know. There's a part of me that always feels that there's a poem almost in every scene, right? Mm. So like, life you know, life is made up of scenes. Yeah, you know, like, it's like a different lens. Yeah, you know, a veces I'm somewhere and having a conversation with someone, or I observe something. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's a poem in here. Mm. There's a poem happening in this moment, right? Mm. Or the sound of the trees or something or the sound of the ocean. And, and, and that's when I'll, you know, now I'll break out my phone and I'll write, I'll and write. The, how you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I have, I have a really bad memory now. So like, I will forget <laughs> things. So um, for the longest time I had a note, I, I, would, I was more of a pen and paper person and I yeah. would always have something in my purse. Uh, but now that we have phones, it just makes things a little easier. Yeah, and I don't lose it. But uh, so yeah, I have like a, a file on my on my phone that just is like right. seriously a list of poems that have yet to be written. But mm. you know, like being t- I remember when AOC won, and I, I'm trying to still process this moment if it's a microaggression or not. Like I'm trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But AOC had just gotten elected, and uh, I was told. Um, you know, someone came up to me and they was like, oh, you know, I saw that, you know, this woman AOC and I thought of you right away. And I was just kind of like, I don't know how I should feel about this mm. right now. I don't know if it's like I should be proud or, you know, is, right. it, is it a compliment or is this a moment of microaggression where like this is oh. the only I mean, the only Puerto Rican, you know, so immediately uh, this is the connection you have. And yeah, so I haven't really processed so I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that the poem I, I I intend to write about that moment, sure, that happened a couple of years ago already, will help me get mm. that feeling. Wow, um, I'm telling you, know, I'm gonna say this so you know, no one can ever check check me up on it. So it's all good. But like, I swear I could write a National Book Award winning poetry collection just from the things I've forgotten, like, <laughs> right? Like like you said, oh, I'm gonna write this down. Oh, forgot. You know, about to go to sleep or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So mm-hmm. all those, man, I, yeah, I got to get better, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm telling you, it could have been incredible. But <laughs> but again, nobody can ever check up on us. So it's all good. <laughs> Living on islands not found on maps is from 2022, right? Yeah, it just came out in March. Just came out in March. And I wonder about like the seeds for the book. Now or a little bit later, we'll have you read the the title poem. There is a title poem and I think explains a lot, but just like the seeds for the book or the seeds for the title, and maybe that's the same thing. Oh, uh, the book was seven years in the making. Whoa. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was seven years in the making. So some poems in the collection or more than that, actually, but no, no, no seven, because by the time I turned it in, uh, no seven. Um, yeah, some of the poems in the collection I wrote in 2013. Okay. And then there were some poems in here that were written in 2020. Wow. So there was a seven year span here of poems and experiences. Um, and there, there's been, there, the, the book went through many iterations mm. and many revisions over the past like few years. And I have given the book to a, a few writer friends to be like, Hey, can you help me out with this? And what's working? What's not working? Mm. Uh, what's the, like, do you, are you feeling the order or should mm. I like disrupt the order? And all these things 
I got feedback, like constructive feedback from some amazing poets, like Dr. Shaki Jackson looked at it. Um, Joseph Rios looked at it uh, in the first stages of it. And mm. they gave me very strong feedback. And then in the latter part, once I gave it to Ed, once Edward had it, uh, Edward had uh, feedback. I remember he said to me, he said, I, I think that some of the poems uh, can be prose poems. Mm. And I remember emailing him back going like, great which ones yeah. and he was like figure it know. out right yeah you figure yeah. it out uh-huh. so i i am not very good with prose poems i didn't feel i had never really written one and mm. it wasn't my it wasn't in my bag it wasn't in my thing it was like this is not that's not my lane and but i knew a, a poet who who was a good prose poet and mm. i sent him my collection and he was an editor of his own literary magazine in Colorado. And I said, hey, can you, would you, do you have time to take a look at my latest collection? And, and can you give me some feedback as far as like, which poems do you think would serve best as prose poems? Cause I don't know where to start. Mm. And he said, sure. And, and his name, he's uh, one of the, the, he gave me a blurb for the book, Juan Morales. And, you know, a couple of months later, he gave me some amazing notes to the manuscript. Mm. And so, um, Again, I've been really lucky to have people take a look at the work over the past few years and yeah. and help me get to where it is now. Where I'm like, okay, mm. this is this is the final product. Hmm. It's funny you talk about like the, the seven years. Like, I mean, I don't I don't notice a difference in continuity. It's like, mm. you know, the opposite would be like, you know, I don't know, like a TV show, and he's got a mustache, and then the next scene he doesn't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> I always, you know, you always think about that, and like, like how much of this film was like recorded in one take, and blah blah blah. But I'm sure you can you can probably trace your, your own life through those seven years, you know, but it's not something that that's ostensibly, you know, evident for, for the reader, maybe a better reader than me, but. Um, no, I don't think anybody has picked up. No one's ever really picked up on it. No one, yeah. no one has ever said, like, Oh, I can tell this was written. All right. Well, now I'm going to try to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no Page one, 33. no one does. Right. Like no one ever does, but like, I know when I, I know, I know when I wrote that poem, like, or, sure. or, or how I know the, at least the year. Right. And, uh, and I know the, um, the memory and the impetus of all these poems. Like I'm very, that memory is good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can, I can tell. Is it, is it too much oversimplification to like, to break? I mean, there are two sections like mm-hmm. clearly marked, like the second one is definitely more about like love and relationships. Right. Like, I mean, is there like a main topic for the first that you would like nail it down to, or is it, are there multiple? And and again, the second one's not just about love and relationships, but. No, the, the, even breaking up the, the book into sections was brand new as well. Mm. That was kind of like, um, one of the last revisions I made. Okay. And, and where I said, you know, I want to split this up into two, because I think that, you know, there's a narrative being made here as a whole but i think that the, that there are two different parts to this so the first part is uh really looking at um and this is kind of where the, the book started from many years ago or at least mm-hmm. what i wanted to do was inheritance i really wanted to look at okay. what we inherit from our our families right mm-hmm. and i really wanted to dive really deep into that um because i was like you know i was ruminating on this going like well we inherit like you know, biological things like, right. Like I know where I get my nose from and where I get my ears and things like that. And so that's very biological and physical and whatnot. But then I started thinking about the things that are abstract that we inherit from our families. Mm. And, you know, I think about 
the alcoholism that runs in my family. Hmm. And, and I think about that very much and, and how that affects my choices when I'm out and about, like, I'm very, very conscious of how much alcohol I drink. And, and then, you know, and if I have like, you know, a too much fun of a night, let's just say, (laughs) um, (laughs) I feel very guilty the next day. Okay. And, and then I have, and I, you know, and then I start wondering like, why do I feel so guilty? Right. Where's this guilt coming from? Like, no mm-hmm. one is making me feel this way. No one is right. like, none of my friends are saying like, oh my gosh, you know, everybody was just like, yeah, you, you know, you were having a lot of fun. That's it. You, you yeah. know, every, everybody gets there for the most part at one point. Right. It, you're not alone in that, but that sense of guilt that I would wake up to in the morning that came from some space. And then I had to really like peel the onion and be like, oh, this is why. Sure. So it's internalized, but it's what are the external forces where, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I started really thinking about like, well, what do we inherit from our families that are, that is not, that's not concrete. Right. And so from like alcoholism to depression, um, you know, anxieties, um, you know, our laughters, like things like that, uh, our perceptions of the world, Hmm. these are things that we also inherit from our families. And, and then I just started, I started thinking about that. And then poetically, I started to kind of write them down. That makes sense. Yeah. With the the epigraph for part one is um, a Boricua is born from the roots up to study the light of the universe, the earth's drum imbuing feet with rhythms only the wind can carry. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, like an inheritance of like, yeah, I mean, your literal ancestors and, and, and the land and, and such. The first poem is help me. Yamaya. Yeah. Yamaya is Pantum. Pantum. And so Yamaya was a Yoruba protectress. Mm hmm. And my understanding is basically, you know, it's basically a conversation between the speaker. And here's the big question. Is the speaker Louisville Resto or is the speaker <laughs> a, a, a hyperbolic version or not a, or no, no way in no way related? Oh, uh, no. I mean, there or is no a, comment. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yemaya is my Orisha, right? She's okay. my Orisha specifically. And I, I do go to the ocean um, as regularly as possible and having the ability to just drive to the ocean, living in California, mm. right? I'm, you know, 45 minutes, I can be there, There you go. which is again a huge luxury. And uh, I visit her a few times a year. I try to visit her specifically on my birthday, actually, mm. uh, you know, the, the honor the day that I was born. And, and I go to her when I need clarity and I'll just sit, you know, on the beach and listen to the ocean waves and listen to the conversation that's being had mm. And I listen to her guidance. Um, I leave her offerings um, mm. that are that are safe and and doesn't pollute the ocean. I, I you know flowers and and things like that. Um, and and I write while I'm there. Mm. And I kind of leave my offerings to her. And or I'll, I'll I'll show up with questions that I'm sitting with that I need again clarity with. And then if I sit there long enough, I I, I get what I need. Mm. And she's my Odisha, and she's been my my Odisha for quite some time. So I wanted to write a, a poem uh, dedicating to her, mm. dedicating to what she does for me. And a pantoum is just a form that I have been wanting to write for a long time. You know, mm. I like challenges. I like writing in form because I like the challenge of form. Okay. So this kind of, this particular poem um, fulfilled two things for me. The Well, like there's a, there's a gather by and stand by the recursive feet. Remind me again, what exactly makes it a pantoum? There's a repetition where? Mm-hmm. where? Where's the repetition come for a pantoum? So the repetition is... Or like pushes it forward, no? 
Yeah, like, for example, like, you know, the first stanza is like, you know, when I visited the ocean, she told me, and then she told me is the first line of the second stanza. Yes, 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 right. And so, um, and and you can, and then you can, there is a specific, like, there's a one, two, three, four, and then you do, I think it's like two, um, then you do two, 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 one, something like that. And then, oh, yeah, because you see the four. So you see, she told me an unpredictable, like the tides is repeated Uh again. Okay. So there is this mathematical equation of sorts mm. <laughs> that you have to kind of follow, and okay. and you're and you're given like license to like to 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 um to kind of like you know scramble it up a little bit, like mm. you know instead of saying Perigian spring tide follows you know allows a kiss, I say like a blena as the tide allows a kiss, right? So there's that there is a little bit of license there, but. But uh, but there is this formula that you have to kind of follow for it to be mm-hmm. a pantomime, where you are, you have to stick to the four lines and the five stanzas. But do you feel like that? You feel like the form is a is a catapult for you. It's not it's not restrictive. No, I like messing around with form. Yeah. I like I like learning. I'm a nerd, so I sure. love learning about new forms and and then saying, okay, can I do that? And, yeah. and do it and, and in my mind do it well like because sometimes you can do it and you're like okay this this stinks right this sure is, something's getting lost here but i do like challenging myself with form and and that's why you do see some of the poems in this collection there is the pantoum there's the villanelle like yeah right that's 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 very intentional didactic also right well didactic is just i love the term didactic because it means lesson yes and so I'm a teacher. And so when I came across the word didactic, I was like, oh, I have to use this somewhere. And the didactic poems came from these little thoughts that were spurting in my brain. Mm-hmm. And they were just, it became like a series. And yeah. and I just kept numbering them. And, right. and I just, this that was kind of a separate and I was like trying to see how is it going to fit into this collection? And I was, I was able to include, not all the didactics made it into the collection because they didn't fit, but the ones yeah. that used definitely fit. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I felt like they, they, they weren't necessarily preaching to me. You know, when I saw didactic, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I thought it'd be more overt. Right. Oh, man. So like, there's the super moon, you know, that comes out in the first one. What's, what's how you pronounce the word? Parisian? Parisian? Yeah, I looked it up. I'm You're like, saying? I want- <laughs> Yeah, I want to be. I want to make sure, but I think it's like Perigian or Perigian. I yeah. when I have to recite this, I'm always like, uh, "Oh, one day you're gonna say it one way, and what next?" Is- <laughs> yeah, I mean, like honestly, part of me wonders, like, is anybody in the audience gonna really know? Yes, and they don't. Right, and so of course, you know, connection to the ties and the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm reminded of. Um, I'm reminded of like an old man in the sea, which is, you know, it's it's not in Puerto Rico. It's outside of Cuba, right? But the the fishermen talked about how in Santiago, I think. Mm-hmm. He talked about how, like in Spanish, I don't know if that's Cuban Spanish or what, but he talked about how, like El Mar, was when the ocean is like violent and crazy and storms and tormentas, and the La Mar is like the Mother Nature, right? The right. loving, the sweet. I thought that was really interesting and really cool. No, yeah, that, you know? that makes sense. And then, then, and then you have the Moon, which is La La Luna, and that's definite. That's definitely feminine. Yes, yes, and there was and, um, and its connection to the ocean, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. In that in that poem and throughout, you make those, you know, for those of us who aren't thinking as, as naturally, but, you know, yes, the moon and of course, and the tides are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's heirlooms, which is one of my favorites. I think that comes second. 
it's this idea in the poem of like the mom as the beauty queen, the seamstress. And you mm. talk about inheritance, right? You talked about the daughter, the daughter, the speaker writes about inheriting anger. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the lines was, but my referring to like the, the sewing holes, but my sewing, my holes were uneven like my voice when I told her no for the first time, man, that, that's saying no to somebody, especially a parent for the first time. That's, that's always on your mind, right? That's like, you don't forget that one. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, this one actually was one of the earlier poems I wrote. So this one, I feel like this one probably was like a 2013 poem actually. Yeah. This one was an, an old poem in that sense. Um, yep. And a lot of it stems from like real life. I mean, this is mm-hmm. my mother really was a beauty pageant queen. Wow. And she definitely, she, she danced in go-go boots and she was a backup singer to El Gran Combo. Wow. Um, so a lot of this stems from the realities that I lived with. And she's a great seamstress. She generally, okay. she generally is an amazing seamstress. And she did try to teach me for some time. And I just didn't have a knack for it. And mm. so, um, but this, this whole thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, um, uh, Fortunately, unfortunately, does stem from real life. And I do remember being pregnant with my daughter and um, being scared out of my mind that I was having a daughter, Mm. like really, really scared. And it was Mm. my second pregnancy. And then then finding out that it was a girl. Yeah, I had to sit with that and be like, okay, there's going to be another one of us out there in the world. Mm. And um, and just having to sit with that and process that. Right. And then thinking about what was I going to pass down to her? Cause right. you know, I'm going to, something's going to get passed down to her and, and, you know, and I see it now more than ever now that she's 16. Yeah. Um, but at the time, yeah, this was huh. I definitely thought about these things. We well, yeah, had some great lines in there about um, quote, imagining my daughter's hair, that soft, soft, like from the grandmother and what she'd inherit from me and her abuela. Mm-hmm. Um the slight imperfection of her nose in a profile reminiscent of the mother who abandoned her as a child. As I wonder about my mother's heirlooms, I just, I love how you bring it back to the mother and, and her, her abandonment, how she oh. was abandoned. And, and, you know, there's so much there about cycles and trauma and, and inheritance. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the poems, I think I got the title, right. The legendary legs of the Rodriguez women. <laughs> legendary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's well. Rodriguez is my um, is my mother's um, okay. maiden name, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Rodriguez. My mother's name is uh, Garcia Rodriguez. So Rodriguez is Garcia is coming from my grandfather. Okay. And my mother's mother, my mother's mother's last name was Rodriguez, and um, and unfortunately, my mother was abandoned by her mother, mm. and so um, but everyone. Everyone who knew my 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 paternal grandmother, I guess, mm-hmm. right? No, sorry, my maternal, maternal grandmother, my maternal yeah. grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, would say that your mother, my mom, got her legs <laughs> from her mother. <laughs> that that she was Carmelita was her name was um and my so her name is Carmelita. My mother's name is Carmen, so she right. was literally named after her as well. And so everyone would say like, oh, no, your mom, you know, got these beauty pageant legs from her mother. Uh, and then um, I 
I mean, I've, I've been told again, this is not like bragging, but I've been told I had nice legs. So <laughs> I've always like, Oh, I got my, I've always say, well, I got my legs from my mother who got her legs from her mother. Right. And, um, and so that's why it's called the legendary legs of the Rodriguez women. That's a great title. Because we're all like, you know, there's, we're all Rodriguez's at the same time. Sure. And so I really, again, I, this is what you said, the poet's life, the daily poet life is where I sit there thinking about like, okay, mm-hmm. what do I, what, do, what did I inherit? Like physically? Yeah. And I physically inherited these legs from, you know, my mom. And then she got it from a mom that she never grew up with. Hmm. And so here we are walking around with these things that are attributed to a woman that we never knew. Right. Yeah. And then, I, and then in that poem, there's a line about, you know, basically like, does Carmelita, does grandma, does she think of us, quote, in the water right. we call home? Mm-hmm. The, the we call home is, is so good. You know, whether or not you're living there still. Right. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. There's so much more about inheritance, like mother, like daughter, the the pose, the the new ports, the, you know, the type of cigarettes. <laughs> we, we hold our vulnerabilities like we hold back our tears with purpose and protectiveness. Man, so many good lines. All yeah. Right. Yeah, that's my mom. <laughs> I, please correct me if I'm using the, I don't know if I'm using this New York term, term correctly, but, you know, not for nothing. Eh? Well, I got to continue. But not for right. nothing, or maybe apropos of nothing. Like you were talking yeah, yeah. earlier about the, I saw like a good joke on Twitter that I, I'm not going to, I can't remember it exactly, but it's something about didactic, you know, like didactic and pedantic. Mm-hmm. Something about like the the wife said didactic wrong. And so the husband was pedantic and he corrected or something like that. <laughs> That's in awesome. the moment it was better. You know, it's one of the, you had to be there, you know. I love it. But yeah, nothing, nothing is a real term. That's my, my cousin, <laughs> my cousin from Jersey is, notorious for always using that phrase when we're talking to each other he's like not for nothing and i'm like no and i I was like and then of course the response is like i feel you (laughs) yeah you go okay okay well you're talking to a half half italian californian and you know watch a lot of sopranos and all that you know (laughs) yeah there you go not that that's it's real life but it's got to be close but yeah i mean speaking of like the bronx there's a the quote is all day every day the Bronx oh, comes man. from you. It's in your marrow. I love, I love anything you know about the marrow, where it's like, right? It's like the deepest part of you, almost, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just so many good things in that poem, just about how it's like that is you, and I, and I'm not something about like, not that you come from the Bronx, but the Bronx comes from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. It's not just a resume builder. And then <laughs> I think I'm, I may have heard you recite this poem before or talk about it, but like being the last one in the faculty meeting is gonna like, nope. Like not gonna let that one slide, <laughs> right? Because 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 you know you know you know as a teacher too we we kind of hate that person not the person if you're asking a legit question, but if you're the one who's like well when you said that you know if somebody's asking you to repeat some of this been said right you know right <laughs> yeah I mean I get that I don't like those people right I, it's really, different. I don't like those that's very different but like you know but I you know I I I can be that person in a meeting to say hold up like. Hmm. you know i'm just gonna put this out there and no disrespect but like how does that make sense hmm. how is that how is that serving our students or you know uh so you know i've been in enough faculty meeting at this point that it, i think it's hysterical that my coworkers, god bless them already know me as a person <laughs> so they can see things going on in my facial expression like yeah Right away. Like there's some, there's, I have faculty members who, colleagues who refuse to sit next to me in a faculty meeting because <laughs> they know they're going to start laughing immediately because <laughs> I mean, I carry everything in my face and what 
whether it's positive or negative, you you know what's going on up here by all of this. So, right. So they're just like, they can't sit next to me. They're like, we can't do that. Either. Well, there's, there's one like, there's one, um, you talk about like the facial expression, there's one called like RBF, right? Like, or, oh, yeah. right? Like resting bitch face. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's um, MILF, you know, which, which obviously like those are tropes and like, it's almost like they're like so overused. It's like, eh, okay. But like you put such a fresh spin on them. Like MILF was like a, not the poem I was expecting at all. <laughs> right. I know. Um, maybe have you read that in a bit. That one was one of my favorites, you know, and, and the resting bitch face, like I, like there's clearly things to be talked about with like the way that it's often attributed to women. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, that's like kind of like a a surface reading of it, but um, you just that poem just talks about obviously like the use of the the word with be, um, and you know those things that would be attributed to women that would not be attributed to men, right? And such like a fresh take on those things. Again, I would be like, ah, eh. like if I were your advisor, I'd be like, don't write a poem about that. It's been it's been done. It's like, nope, do do write that poem, <laughs> do write that poem, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I wonder if maybe it would be a good time to to read the the milf poem <laughs> yeah no problem i don't read this one very often so this is great yeah uh, okay no she's the mother i'd like to forget the mother i'd like to forgive the mother i'd like to find as i have become the mother others want to bed and forget they found trying to forgive herself even just even just in the short poem hearing the way that you and that last line that you found i don't know just like the the rise in your voice almost the the uppity and yeah even with the first line like okay this isn't the one that we know about like mm-hmm. the, the forget and you know, they just put you on a whole different plane mm-hmm. again again it makes so much sense that you said the first part is really about inheritance there's yeah. so much there about passing things on within families outside of families absolutely that's what i was, I was digging deep into that for a really long time and so it made sense that that's that's section one really focus on that and then mm-hmm second part was really more about like um relation relationships but also the relationship that we have with ourselves right and that was also really important to me as well yeah mm-hmm. there's the um you know again with inherit- inheritance talking about this coffee that's unique like the father yeah you know despite despite his transgression despite forgetting things like there's that that doesn't change that unique no no, and that again, that all stems from, you know, a real space, like right, mm-hmm. like he, he, my biological father lives in on the island, and right. we don't have a relationship, like you know, the way that unfortunate, you know, from his own choosing, um, but trying to reconnect in some way, and now mm-hmm. that I'm an adult, and the thing that does connect us is that, um, you know, there is this particular coffee that is only found on the island; you can't mm-hmm. find it in the states. And it is the coffee company that my grandmother worked for for about 20 years. And then that was the last place she worked at before she retired. Okay. So Um, there is a connection. Like there's a, like my grandmother worked for them for so long. So like my mom and my aunt had a lot of t-shirts, like this promo (laughs) stuff, right? Like I remember seeing my mom and my, my, and my aunt wear these like promo t-shirts, these little tank tops. And uh, so I have this, you know, love and connection and sentimentality to this particular coffee mm. brand. And I can't, it's not Bustelo. It's not, it's not like that stuff. Okay. And so um, I, you know, he can find it for me and he just goes to the regular store and then uh, it's two bucks. It's not even expensive. Yeah. And so he, 
he will, you know, if I tell, if I call him today, he will go to the market, put it in the mail and I'll have it by the end of the week. <laughs> and so, um, it's, it's one of the very few things that connects us. So, yeah. 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 But even just the, the, the poem that's called nomenclatures, you know, for so many of us, when we find out like, okay, like my mom is in your case, your mom is Carmen, but she's also mama. You know, there's Luis, there was Luis before there was me, you know, there's Luis and there's Papa and just, right. um, you know, again, inheritance and, and, and trauma and cycles. Um, there's also like the, there's also potential and, and legacy and f- the future as a theme, as themes like um, Garcia folklore. You talked about the other side of the family, yeah. um, the, right? This, this two-year-old who was saved from the water, she quote, had stories to pen and lands to explore. And I just love that. Were, were you that two-year-old? Yeah, I was. My mom threw her back out that she and she never and she never ceases to to mention that. Mm. Like, you know how moms are, right? Moms will do something and they'll, you'll hear about that story forever. <laughs> yes. So my mom apparently happened when I was like two years old. I went into the ocean and a wave kind of took to, you know, I just got swept up by the ocean. And my mom, the story is that like she you know, ran in and swam up and then dragged me out. But in that process, she threw out her back or something. Mm. And so her back was never right ever since. So I was, you know, growing up as a kid, even a teenager, if her back was bad, she'd be like, you know, it's because when I went into the ocean and got you out, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm never going to live this down. I don't even remember this memory, obviously, but yeah. So that's where it comes from. That's why it's called a folklore because it became like this legendary, this folk tale that I keep hearing about. So, but that two-year-old was me. Home, menudo, and you're not talking about the uh, the food. I uh, talking Ricky Martin. I think he said something about before he was Ricky Martin or something before he was known as that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And talking about uh, about tu and usted and you know googling acentos. I know that as a non-native, but you know Spanish teacher, like those dang accents, man. Oh, I I, I suck at those. I don't do well with those to this day. I don't know the rules. I don't. Yeah, and they don't matter if you speak it. You know, if you speak it, they don't really matter. But yeah, um, I always feel so bad. My native speakers, a lot of times they're just like, I don't know. I'm like, like I'm not going to mark you down for that, you know, but, but just great lines about home and, you know, and, and like you talked about speaking multiple languages and, uh, you know, colonize twice the tongue right. um, and, and writing about the island, which is the Bronx or your friends or your group of friends within, you know, talking about is unfettered and absent of red pen connections, correction, excuse me. That kind of brings us into the title, like the title poem. What is that island? Is it a physical place? Is it a, a state of being? Like the title actually came from a writing prompt. Um, I love in, those in twenty twenty um, when uh, I I was in the bio um, when the University of Arizona the the Poetry Center reached out. Okay, and they. Um, it was a project with myself, Luis Rodriguez and Peter J. Harris. Nice. And we were all, we did a Zoom together. It was um, uh, Diana Delgado was, uh, Diana Marie Delgado was the the, um, the host and, and was running the series. And so we did an interview with her over Zoom, but prior to that, they wanted us to write a, a new piece 
uh, regarding um, like belonging. Yeah. Almost, right. And, and I think something to do with language, probably something like that. And she didn't say anything more than that. It was like a very open prompt. Mm. And so I, you know, and she, and I think she said, if you have something already great, that's unpublished, send it in. So I think all of us did something different and wrote something new. And I had that prompt in the back of my mind. And, and, um, and this is what came from that. It, mm. it came from that prompt. And kind of going back to what I originally said, when you asked me the question about, you know, the identity of, you know, living, being Puerto Rican in New York. And I said this, like, there is this duality that exists, right? Mm. And, and, and again, a lot of the stuff comes from real spaces, like everything here, there was a, prof- there was, I did have a professor named Cruz de Jesus. Okay. I really, I did take a, um, at Cornell, there was a class called Spanish for Bilinguals. Yeah. And it was basically all these Spanish-speaking kids who were Dominican, Puerto Rican, Peruvian, Panamanian, whatever, and but whose Spanish wasn't the best anymore, right? Like mm. we were we were using a lot of Spanglish essentially. Sure. And his class was gonna help us out with that, right? Like you know, and and I just remember he's Puerto Rican, and I remember I would always kind of walk out of the class and say, "All right, well, you know, in Spanish, I'm like, have a good weekend or que tengas un buen día." Uh-oh. He, he was, wanted he wanted que tenga. He didn't want he he didn't he didn't appreciate uh, that I would use the tu with him. Okay. And he was very rigid about the rules, right? And he was very much like tu is is for informal and so, uh, and you know, and I was just like I was like, okay, man, like I'm just saying have a good day. Like I mean, yeah. you know, like a part of me wanted to be like, what are we doing here? Um <laughs> but I'll never forget his class. And I do look up Google a lot when I have to help out my kids because <laughs> I don't know my accents. <laughs> and I did have a classmate named Juana. <laughs> like, mm. again, I, I write from a very personal space, even yeah. though stuff could be like, you know, um, there's license to like jostle things up here and there. But I, I, I base a lot of what I write from people that I know and, right. and observations and experiences. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's so much, uh, you know, especially in the second part of the collection about love and relationships. I mean, there's some beautiful love poems, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, some that are very sad. There's a lot about loss. I'm in love with the belief you love me in return was one of my favorite lines. I'm in love with the belief you love me in return. Um, you know, definitely self-love, uh, you know, you know, the idea of the mirror, mm. you know, playing house, the, the home in like the idea of like with the, you know, with the, the boyfriend or partner or whatever, like, you know, be like house sitting, but like thinking like this could be us or mm-hmm. what would this be like if this were us? I mean, I'll, you know, rings true with a lot of people for sure. One of the right. poems I'm like, I'm like, this is a heck of a, a run on, but like so smooth. It was from first edition quote. They tried to label this ritual, but no word had been invented to describe mutual revelations transposing the hours when night and day are blurred. And kisses on the mouth feel exhilarating, like opening to the first page. You you must have kind of stepped away from the the desk for a minute and kind of pat yourself on the back, no? Like, <laughs> um, uh, no. Um, it was just again, just uh, trying to capture, like poetically, try to capture what that looks like, right? Like yeah. what that scene is, right? Um, you know, when you, when you are with someone intimately and you don't know, you've been with them for so long throughout, like almost, and I think everyone I feel again has had this, these experiences where you're with someone intimately 
and you don't know what time it is anymore. Yeah. Where you're like, have we been talking for like 10 hours or have we been lying down here in bed for like 10 hours? And like, we haven't eaten yet. Like have mm. we had food yet? And like, you know, you have breakfast at dinner time or some, you know, some shit like right. that. And so that's kind of what I was trying to capture in that line or in those lines is like, you know, those hours when you don't know if it's daytime or nighttime, mm. you know, and, and, you know, that, that, that exhilarating feeling of opening to that first page of a book that you've been looking forward to very much can feel like that kiss. And so yeah. trying to make those connections, um, that's, that's just where my brain went, like l- literally just trying to find that right simile or that right comparison. And that's where my brain went. Yeah. There's, there's obviously a lot about, I mean, opposites, like there's misogyny, but there's also like the power yeah. of womanhood, power of womanhood, womanhood. Why did I say womanhood? Um, you know, like, I mean, just the, just the title itself is so good. A poem for the man who asked me, where are your motherhood poems? Ugh. Right. Yeah, I- Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with all the misogyny that comes with that and the expectations, there's, you know, there's a lot about Diana Prince, who's, you know, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of like, I knew coqueta to mean like flirty. Yeah. But you write about how it's, it's also like a, like a vanity, like a dressing table, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's Puerto Rican Spanish okay. or like if it's, you know, universal Spanish. I'm not really sure. Like sometimes I don't even know. Right. Like I yeah. talk to my I talk to my kids all the time and I say, listen, I don't know what I'm saying is like legit. <laughs> I just know that it means something to us, right? Yeah. But, so coqueta in, according to my family, according to my, you know, again, Spanish, uh, Puerto Rican Spanish is a dresser. Hmm. A dresser or vanity, like you said, it's that. So that's what a coqueta is. That's, that's what we would call it, you know, yeah. in our, you know, in my family. That's what my grandmother calls it. Yeah. In that poem talking about how the, there's a, you know, keep, keep uh piling up the rings um post the wedding you know mm-hmm. and then the one of the last lines if not the last is is so so good it's quote my hands are mine now mm-hmm. like, dang <laughs> speaking of great of great finales i'd love to end with with the title poem if you're up for it yeah no for sure um yeah so <clears throat> uh living on islands not found on maps i live on an island not found on maps growing up in the shadows of one of the most popular surnames, Garcia. I speak Spanish to my abuela on Sundays, but rely on Google to help my children with their homework because the accent rules never stuck. Stress or unstress? Penultimate syllable? Took the paradoxical college course Spanish for bilinguals where every Tuesday, Professor Cruz de Jesus would shake his head with indignation at my use of the familiar tú versus usted. No me conoce, he said. He was right. He didn't know me and I didn't know him or the proper word for bus or orange juice. What I did know is summers in Puerto Rico eating quenepas as relatives asked, ¿No entiendes lo que dijo tu primo? And my abuela defending my tongue, this tongue colonized not once but twice, leaving me isolated at family reunions, feeling inadequate for my inability to conjugate on command. Sounding out storefront signs while riding the number 42 bus on the way home from kindergarten, where I concentrated to understand Mrs. Farrell's lessons about the seasons. But I finally found a home between Bronx Bodega Isles, code switching with my homegirls about how many times Juana bipio that boy we saw standing in front of El building. This became the island where I belonged, unfettered and absent of red pen corrections, 
Juana didn't care if I used the tú or the usted or if my yo was about me or an emphatic reaction to her crazy story. This island didn't care if I rolled my R's or ever got the purpose of vosotros. An island where our bodies translated feelings, first lips, a raised brow, an aggressive eye or neck roll. We were bilingual neologists, inventing new lands we could carry in our tims and bubble coats. Here, language like us wasn't disappointing or broken. Dang, so good. So it's what, ella, ella bipio, tu bipeaste? Uh, yeah, so BPO, right? Like we, everybody had a beeper in the nineties. Oh man! And you had to conjugate that, right? So uh, like he, he was like, "Oh, did that guy? You know, did he did he beep you?" He's like, "Oh, te BPO. Oh, maybe yeah. this, You know, yeah. <laughs> it became like instead of beeper, it became bipiad. Yeah. Like we, we into a verb. You hear some of like the songs from like the nineties, and it sounds so dated. You know, they talk about like beepers. You're like, "Oh man!" Right. That, but oh, that was man. the thing. That was the thing. <laughs> Oh, or Walkmans and stuff like that, and you're like, oh my god, that doesn't. Or even CDs, like right. Yes. What what word would you use for bus? So in Puerto Rico, we say guagua. Okay. Yeah. We say guagua, and that does not exist in mm. like, you know, I I again, I teach in a middle school, and the Spanish teachers and I, the Spanish teacher and I are my really good friend, and she's from Spain. Okay. So she has a different Spanish. And then the science teacher is Chicana. So she grew up out here in Pomona. Mm. So when we get together and we're speaking Spanish, like there is a genuine misunderstanding happening. (laughs) And I think recently I said, I think there was a field trip going on. And I, you know, when I saw them instinctively, I was like, see, you know, la guagua está aquí. And the science teacher was like, I, I don't know what that is. And then luckily the, the the Spanish teacher who knows the dialect difference goes, okay. she means autobus, get the autobus is here. And I was like, I, whatever. And, you know, everybody was like, well, what is guagua? That's funny. We call it guagua. And what's interesting, if you ever, Basquiat, Basquiat was Puerto mm. Rican. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so in one of his paintings, I think it's still at the Broad or it was at the Broad, um, you see the word guagua in one of his paintings. All right. And I was like, and there's, like a, and there's like a bus there right next to it. And I'm like, yeah, you see like guagua is a thing, right? And, and, and not everybody, but I don't say autobus. I can't say autobus, it's guagua. You just said it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well, you know, with, with Espada and with Viramontes, there's going to be Resto. And I appreciate you um, sharing all the, the interesting stories and, and philosophies and, and, you know, in the background, um, definitely got to get a copy from my classroom library for sure. Kind of elbow a couple students, like check this one out, check this one out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's so cool to know that you're an educator as well. And mm-hmm. um, such part of such a cool community. So thanks so much for sharing. And it was just a pleasure talking to you. I know. Thank you so much. This is an honor and this was really cool. And this was a really good way to kick off my break. So thank nice. you. Nice. Yeah. Enjoy your break, and this is not the end. We'll we'll meet in real life, and we'll we'll do yeah. one of these readings or something for sure. For sure, I'll do it. I'm down. So thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 153 with Louis Vet Resto. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. 
You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter, if it still exists, where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. My last name, R-I-E-H-L. Thank you and welcome to the newest Patreon member, Claudia Monpier McIsaac, who happened to be my first guest back in episode, I believe, number nine, and a great professor of mine. Check out the page, the Patreon page that describes the benefits of a membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 154 with Ian McAllen the author of Red Sauce, How Italian Food Became American. He is a writer, editor, and graphic designer living in Brooklyn. Cannot wait to talk sauce and gravy and sugo. This episode will air on November 29th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Louis Vett Resto, whose works, like Living on Islands Not Found on Maps, give you chills at will.